All right, our fourth and final lesson here on the Ministry of Helps Part 2. We have two Ministry of Helps curriculum. The first Ministry of Helps lessons we've taught for years and years and years around here. And then after our last big remodeling project, you get to see how good your helps departments are and are not. So, you know, you spend seven, eight months remodeling the kids' wing as a church family, and all of a sudden you see I have gaping holes and I need to write more curriculum. And so that's, that's what we're concluding is these four lessons that we wrote coming out of our kids' wing remodel about two years ago now. And this uh, fourth and final lesson is called Conflict. Yeah. It's source and how to fix it, or what do I call it? Conflict and its sources. Now, this isn't just Ministry of Helps. Because we will have conflict in the ministry of helps, and by that we mean just serving in the local church as what the world calls volunteers. Of course, I reject the term volunteer as a preacher and a pastor. A volunteer waves an orange flag and assembles at Neyland Stadium every other Saturday in football time. A volunteer also can quit anytime they want. A servant can't. A volunteer looks to be paid with accolades and a pat on the back and a stamp. A servant doesn't. A servant looks for rewards in heaven. So in our church, we reject that term volunteer. I understand what it means, and it's not like we'll give you the evil eye if you say, well, I volunteer around here. But what we call it is ministry of helps. Everybody's called to the ministry of helps. But conflict doesn't just arise in the local church. It arises in your marriage. It arises on your job. It arises in your home. And so this will also help us, these lessons or this lesson will help us resolve conflict and even recognize it before it hits us, even in our family outside of church. In fact, when you stop to think about it, the very first ministry of helps the Bible ever talks about is the marriage. In Genesis chapter 3, the Lord says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper. It doesn't say I'll make him a lover, but that's part of it. It doesn't say I'll make him a best friend, but that's part of it. But the very first thing he says is I will make him a helper. And so we see marriage as the very first helps team where God made man first, gave him an assignment to keep and tend his garden. And then he said, you can't do it alone, man. You need a helper. And uh, then there began conflict after the fall. We know not before it. And marriages have been working on conflict resolution ever since. Okay, everybody who didn't say amen, you're not married. There is, there is conflict anytime two people are walking together. I like what one of my preacher friends said. He said, I love my wife. That's my girl. I will kill for her. I will kill to defend her. I will die defending her. She's my girl. But nobody gets under my skin quite like my girl. <laughs> and that's just kind of how it is sometimes since we all have flesh, nature, and ego. Let's look at our, our curriculum here. The Bible commands us to seek peace and pursue it. Amen. That is a command. We are to seek peace and pursue it. Modern America is addicted to agitation and strife. Some folks will purposely, the internet calls them trolls. They'll purposely get on the internet, Facebook, whatnot, and just lob an offensive thing just to watch people get all in a tizzy. And they, they don't have a very positive term. They're called trolls. They get on the internet and just go trolling to stir up strife. Some Christians are that way. They can't go three or four days without drama, so they stir it up. They can't go three or four days for, with peace, so they, they become the drama queen or the drama king. That, for, that, that, that contradicts the scriptures. That violates the biblical commandment of seeking peace and not just looking for it. Pursue it. You, I, I need a life pursuit. Peace. Not hippie peace. Not peace corps peace. Biblical peace. Amen. We are also commanded to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So these are commands. Peace is a commandment. 
it's something we have to work to endeavor because it doesn't come naturally. We realize we live in a fallen state. The world is corrupt. Everything is falling apart. We have to seek peace and pursue it, and we have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is something that takes a lot of energy. Peace takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. It doesn't just happen naturally. Now, you can seek peace or you can rest in peace when you're dead because you're not alive anymore to cause problems or to be the problem. But until then, it takes a lot of energy to maintain peace in your marriage. It takes a lot of energy to maintain peace in a church. <laughs> you know, the, uh, was Eisenhower says, walk softly and carry a big stick. How do you keep world peace? Through superior firepower. It takes a lot of energy to maintain world peace. And obviously, we're not doing it very well because we don't have much world peace. Amen. However, there will never come a time when conflict will arise even among the brethren. And we all know that to be the case. We can't ignore that. We can't pretend like it doesn't happen. Every church has to deal with strife. Nothing kills the move of the Holy Ghost quite like strife and discord. And the devil loves to come in and provoke our flesh and provoke our minds and provoke our feelings. So we're going to just be nitty-gritty with this lesson and just recognize we all get our feelings hurt. We shouldn't, but we do. We all take offense. We shouldn't, but we do. We all get a little attitude. We shouldn't, but we do. So how do we resolve that? How does it come? Because if you can recognize the symptoms, you can nip the symptoms in the bud before it grows into a full-blown tree. I'd rather pull the tree up when it's a sprig than have to go bulldoze a live oak in Louisiana that's 500 years old. This lesson is designed to expose the sources and causes of conflict and strife. So let's look at conflict. Conflict as defined is a prolonged armed struggle. You wouldn't believe how many Christians come to church and they sit on this side because they hate the people in the body of Christ that sit on that side. Can't believe the Beidus sit over there and the Willettes sit over here. Blowing kisses. <laughs> Folks really do that. Now, when we're a smaller church than, than the popular mega church, uh, we're able to kind of deal with that better, perhaps. But bigger churches, it, well, maybe in bigger churches they don't because they don't even know each other sometimes. In fact, I was talking to one of my neighbors that I just met this week, about a couple houses down, and uh, they said, do you go to such and such church? I said, no. They said, well, we do. And I thought, isn't it funny? We have churches so big now, your next door neighbor may go to that church and you don't even know it because you don't know each other because the church is so big. And that's not good or bad. I'm just saying that's just modern church experience. And I said, no, actually, we pastor this church over here. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know that church. Conflict is a prolonged armed struggle. Prolonged. We don't want our feelings being offended to, to go into full-blown conflict. We want to resolve it quickly. I don't understand a Christian that can go to bed with turmoil and angst in their soul. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You ought to get that thing resolved before you go to bed. Otherwise, it will fester and it will only get worse. Conflict is incompatibility between two or more opinions. Notice not gospel, not two or more doctrine, opinions. Why do we exalt opinion? Opinion is like feet. Everybody's got them and they all stink but your own. Why are we defending our feet? We ought to defend the scriptures. It is uh, incompatibility, in, incompatibility between two or more principles or interests. It's a serious disagreement or argument, typically a protracted one, drawn out. We all have this season where we get our feathers ruffled, but that doesn't mean you should live the rest of your life looking like a peacock, just sprawled out. 
You ought to get that thing resolved as quickly as possible. Again, you and I, we come to church because we want to worship God. We want to serve God. We want the Holy Ghost to move in our services. We want to see revival. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We want to see the gifts of the, of the Spirit in our services. And then nothing kills that quite like you getting your feathers ruffled and keeping them ruffled. Because the Lord wants to move in this direction, but the Holy Spirit of peace, the Prince of Peace can't when half the chickens over here are ruffled. So now we have to take a whole service and pet the feathers down. We've, we honestly just lost the service because mature Christians came to church and they sat over here because they didn't like the people who sat over here. And now we have to spend the whole service going through elementary Christianity again. Amen. Conflict and strife. A few general things must be said about conflict. Proverbs 13.10 in the NIV. Where there is strife, there is pride. Uh, King James says only by pride comes contention and strife. So I, I like, it just kind of reverses a little bit. Where there is strife, there is pride. That's the first and foremost thing that needs to be said. When your feelings are hurt, you've got pride. And my pastor, Dr. Barclay, is fond of saying that offense is nothing but a violation of personal pride. Of course, I always quote Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. When you love God's word more than anything, no amount of racial tension will offend you. No amount of homosexual behavior will offend you. Or no amount of people not responding to your text, your tweet, or your Facebook post will offend you. Nothing offends you because you're anchored to the rock. To offend means to stumble or to trip. When you're anchored to the rock, you don't stumble. You're anchored. And when you're anchored to the rock, you don't trip. You're anchored. But when you read Us Weekly more than you do the Bible... And when you spend more time scrolling and wasting life on Facebook than the Bible, when you spend more time chatty cathing with people and not God, you're going to get offended easily. We have lost the art of Bible study in America. We are so distracted by everything afforded us, we've slowly watched our walk with Jesus Christ just be leached from us like calcium out of an old man's bones. And because of that, we're, we're tossed and driven through emotional winds and doctrines. And if we would just start reading the Bible and studying the Bible, it would put such a strength in our soul and such a strength in our being, nothing would offend us. It doesn't mean offenses don't come a thousand times a day. They just blow right past you. You know, trees don't blow over easily. Neither do houses. But leaves blow. Trash blows. Sticks blow. The swing set blows. Which are you? Are you the rooted, founded house, the anchored tree, or the leaves and the swing set and the, the trash from the road that just blows so freely? Wind's going to blow again. And if you were offended this round and you don't do anything between this round of spiritual storms and the next round, you're going to blow further away from where God wants you. That's the source of conflict and strife. Pride. Strife is the result of pride. When strife is one-sided, it's called bullying. We get that. I pick on Eddie, I pick on Eddie, I pick on Eddie, I'm a bully. When the victim pushes back, if Eddie pushes back, that's self-defense. When the pushing back surpasses self-defense, it's called strife. Now, he, he just, you know, he, he defended himself, but if he goes beyond that to just get me away from him, now we're, we have a war, we have a quarrel, that's strife. We want to avoid anything like that in our marriages. How, how can your marriage prosper if you're always bickering? Amen. How can your marriage prosper if you got two, I don't mean to call you cows or oxen, but if you got two oxen pulling in different directions, you're not going to go forward very well and you're both going to be a pain in the neck. 
and cause a pain in the neck and have a pain in the neck. Now let me say something very sexist, misogynistic, and anti-lesbian. The Bible says God made man first. He is therefore the head of the home and the wife is to be subject or submitted to him as unto the Lord in all reverence. American women don't love that because if you were born after 1950, you're about one-third lesbian and don't even realize it because that's the culture of white American women. That's not racist, that's not white, that's not sexist. I'm married to a white American woman born after 1950. She's born 1979. It's just an observation. In fact, even the devil, the, the, uh, the Lord told Eve, he said in the garden, from this point forward, your desire will to be to master your husband, but he's going to rule over you. He prophesied, he said, you're always going to struggle against your husband if you're not careful, but he is going to rule over you. And so for women, you, don't be the feminist Gloria Steinem who would rather abort all her babies than raise them. You need to be the Proverbs 31 woman. She's the most powerful person in the whole Bible, I truly believe, because she conquers everything submitted to her husband. And all you have to do is read Proverbs 31 and you realize how powerful that woman is, and yet she's submitted. There's not a, a feminist, a lesbian, or a Fortune 500 woman alive today that touches the Proverbs 31 woman in power, beauty, and splendor. And she raises her kids up to go to heaven, not hell. Amen. So you got to be careful with this conflict and strife thing. Furthermore, as a woman, you, you're not graced or designed to, to be the leader. It will make your life miserable. Amen. And furthermore, as a husband, you're not designed to follow your wife. It'll make you miserable and emasculate you. I mean, it really, in a lot of marriages today, we already have Caitlyn Jenner's. And their wife is the one that did the surgery. <laughs> All right, let's move on because I want to keep it positive and help more than just marriages this morning, but I guess we're doing what we got to do. Proverbs 17, 14, NIV. A lot of these verses are out of the NIV because it just helps clear up some of the King James out of the book of Proverbs. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Anybody want to do that? Go over here to the dam and just put a pack of dynamite right there at the base of it and just like a good old redneck say, what's this? And that's the last we ever heard of Eddie. <laughs> Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Notice the Bible says drop it. Now that's even an American expression. Just drop it. Pride won't let you drop it. Pride's always got to get that last word in. But the Bible says just drop it. Just drop the detonator. Whether it's in the local helps ministry, in the departments in the church, with your coworker on the job, or your spouse, drop the detonator because nobody's going to survive the blast of your pride. And don't you realize you have kids sitting on top of the dam? What if they're in their little water wings on the backside of the dam? They're going to get sucked to that hole that you blast and breach. Conflict only grows. It is biblical and proper to just drop it. Just walk away. Uh, who was it? Um, I was talking to somebody. It was a actually a local pastor friend of mine. He, he was telling us he was celebrating 27 or 28 years of marriage. He said, I, when I got engaged years ago, I was about to be married. He said, one of the old timers at the factory said, you want a word of wisdom? He said, yes, sir. He said, can you say I'm wrong? He said, yes, sir, say it. I'm wrong. He said, you'll have a good marriage. He said, you can be happy or you can be right, but you can't be both. 
And so my pastor friend said, I've been happy 27 years. <laughs> just drop it. Proverbs 18.6, we're just looking at the source of strife. It'll help both marriage and parental family relationships and your coworker relationships and the ministry of helps in our church. Uh, Proverbs 18.6, the lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. <laughs> I love the book of Proverbs. The lips of fools bring strife. So only a fool, uh, let me give you modern English, only the idiot, only the idiot stirs up strife. But it's, it's so part of our culture now. They say blood in the water sells paper. You know, they, they want blood to sell at magazine. They want strife. They, they're talking about even in the music industry, so much of the feuds that they have between artists is so fabricated. It's like WWE wrestling, <laughs> except in the music industry because it sells records. Our nation, our culture is addicted to strife. Yes. And it's all a one-upmanship to he, see who can be the coolest. Jesus Christ did not personify any of that. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, a mouth that was shut, and he did not once defend himself. But he trusted himself to him who judges righteously. It says when he was reviled and re mocked and rebuked and dis or disrespected, it says he reviled not again. Just kept his mouth shut. Why can't we do that? That little pride that just says, eh, eh. You just got to get back. You just got to have the last word. A person's mouth stirs up strife. The Bible calls this kind of strife monger a fool. He is just asking to be beaten up. He's asking for, that's what it says, the mouth invites a beating. Anybody ever get beat up because they were mouthy back in school? Sure. Yeah, I've been, I got, I got beat up for being mouthy. I got beat up twice in my, my, uh, before college days, just being mouthy. Because uh, I just had, I was a little kid with a big mouth. I'm a big, bigger kid with still got a big mouth. I was preacher in training back in those days, just didn't know how to harness it. it when you run your mouth, you're asking for a beat down. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say you deserve it. it, doesn't say you should get a beat down, but you're inviting it. Amen. <laughs> Proverbs 22:10, NIV. Drive out the mocker, and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Uh, get rid of the mocker. Notice the person who stirs up strife, the Bible calls them a mocker. So anytime you and I provoke strife or maintain strife, we're automatically called a mocker. What are we mocking, though? We'll see that in a second. And out will go the strife. Get rid of the mocker, out goes the strife. And the quarrels and the insults are ended. Why would you run with people that insult you? That's one of the things we try to teach our young people. Why do you want to be friends with the kids that just make fun of you? Why do you compromise your Christianity to be with the kids that are going to hell? When they mock your Christianity, their parents aren't good parents usually, and they're just God mockers. Why, why, why do we subject ourselves to that? But you, you put out this mocker, the strife goes away, the quarrels go away, and the insults go away. The Bible calls those that cause conflict mockers. Strife and the strife monger mocks God's desire for peace and unity. That's why we're called mockers when we stir up strife. We're mocking God's desire for peace and unity. We should absorb all strife. We should absorb all insults. We should absorb all quarrels. We should be looking to bury the hatchet even in our chest if it has to be. That there might be peace and unity. 
We're called to, to manifest the greater one. When you're the greater one, as in the Holy Ghost, the greater one's within us, the Spirit of God. When you're the bigger one, you're just the bigger one. You can walk away and take an insult and be ridiculed and be mocked. And it doesn't phase you. Pastor Vaughn used to say, why do you get offended when crazy people make fun of you? When they mock you and ridicule you, it should be evident they're crazy because if they were in their right mind and right with God, they wouldn't say those things. So just have mercy on them. They're spiritually retarded. Their brain doesn't function properly. Nobody, I, I've told you this story when, we, when I was a geologist and we, worked, we were working on the Burger King in uh, Lake City, Tennessee, and we were doing some remediation of the soils and some phase two and three remediations and pulling out some diesel that was in the ground. And the, there was a special needs man he was probably in his 60s, mentally handicapped, and he drove up and down Lake City's main strip on a moped with a big eight-ball helmet and a whip flag. You can't make this stuff up. Big, heavy guy in overalls. A crew-cut white hair, but he was mentally retarded. But they let him have a moped. This is about 15 years ago now. And he drove up in the parking lot, and the whole town knew they were getting a Burger King, but it was just a muddy mess right now because we had to pull these old underground storage tanks. And... He pulls up on his moped and starts rocking it back and forth and yelling at us and saying, Hey, boys, give me a whopper. <laughs> making fun of us. And I looked at the track co-operator. I said, Is he making fun of us? And he says, I think he is. And we couldn't help but laugh because he is mentally handicapped, making fun of us. We didn't get offended. We understood he's, he's different. He's special needs. Nothing against him. That's just who he is. We didn't get offended. Now, if it was somebody else, we might have gotten offended. <laughs> mocking us. How, but we understood this guy, you know, because of a birth defect, because of something that's happened, and he's had to live his whole life this way. God help him. Uh, he, we could laugh it off. In fact, I still think it's funny. It is funny because I can't fully do the full impersonation because you'll think I'm making fun of handicapped people. But it was hysterical. If we could just apply that when people ridicule us, persecute us, mock us, or just act an idiot to us, ah, they're just a little spiritually gifted today. They're just a little touched in the head today. They're having a bad day. I'm going to cut them some mercy. Rather than thinking you've got some kind of special right to be offended. <laughs> you don't have a special right to be offended. You have a special right to forgive, to walk in love, to pray for them, realizing they had a bad day. If you're a really spiritual Christian, you'll say, I want to win them back to me. I'm going to chase them down and say, is everything okay? Can I pray for you? What's going on? But we don't often do that. We often, we take the lower ground, the wider path, and we act like the heathen. Well, bless God, if that's the way they're going to treat me, well, fine, I'm leaving. I'm not working with them in this department anymore. You don't understand how they treat me. They don't treat anybody else that way. Maybe it's just you that's a little too sensitive. We always want to, I got to move. We're running out of time and I'm, Talking about eight ball helmets, whip flags, and making a whopper. Other conflict scriptures. <laughs> Proverbs fifteen eighteen. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So you have a, a contrast there. A hot-tempered person and someone who calms a quarrel. Who do you think we should be? The quarrel calmer. That's a mouthful. That's an odd English combination. Quarrel calmer. Or hot-tempered, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's the most passively seeming people that are really the most hot-tempered. 
They get their feelings hurt the easiest and they storm off. That's a hot-tempered person. That's just like someone who picks fights. But this person throws a fireball and then storms off and pounces. That's not spiritual. That's not mature. Next verse, Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Notice that now it calls a, a person a conflict has been called a mocker and now a pervert. A perverse person, a pervert, stirs up conflict. And a gossip separates close friends. That's why you don't run with people that have the scoop. A gossip is someone who comes along and separates chief friends. We don't want to have those, those kind of folks around us. We don't want to be those kind of people. Proverbs 17, 19. We're just reading scriptures that deal and expose conflict. Because we want peace. He loves transgression that loves strife. And he that exalts his gate seeks destruction. The term there to exalt your gate is a reference to exalting your own wisdom and opinion. The gate represents where the city council would meet in the biblical times. So he that exalteth his gate is a reference to saying he that knows it all seeks destruction. He that wants to exalt everything he knows. And as I try to teach us, if your opinion isn't helping you, what makes you think it'll help me? Right? If you got a horrible garden, don't come help me with my garden. I got this miracle stuff. It just, it'll help your garden. Let me see what your garden looks like. Withered, died, you know, everything shriveled up, fallen. I don't want that in my garden. Keep it to yourself. But who you do go find is the guy that's got the pumpkins that weigh 500 pounds and the strawberries the size of cantaloupes and cantaloupes the size of bowling balls and bowling balls that only Paul Bunyan can lift. That's who you want to help in your garden. But you got to be careful. He loves transgression that loves strife. And don't go around exalting your own wisdom. What does the Bible say? Quote scripture, not opinion. Proverbs 20, verse 3, it's an honor for a man to cease and avoid strife. That's an honor to, to walk away from those kind of people. It's an honor to say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I told you about the lady chewing me out a couple weeks ago in the parking lot because we were remodeling the parking lot and she was parked someplace we didn't need her to be, so we just asked her if she could just back her car up 15 feet. And she chewed me out the whole length of the back of our building. And I, I really wish I could have found that mouthy teenager I used to be. But I think the Lord struck me dumb like the donkey because it would have only ruined our, our witness. And I, I said, I'm sorry you feel that way. I, 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 I'm, sorry, I'm sorry you feel that way. And there was another guy walking through the parking lot, and uh, he observed this. And, of course, he just thought she was the biggest idiot on the planet to be mouthing off this bad at the back of a church. And uh, she walked inside the building she was going to, and the guy looked at me and said, Did you get all that? I said, Yeah. I guess I did. He just shook his head at that woman. Yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to avoid it. I, I, really, I didn't want to avoid it. I wanted to give her a mouthful. And then after she walked inside, it's like the, the thing came off my mouth and I had all these put downs, all these cut downs. You know, she said, I, I have a church, but if I didn't, I wouldn't come to this one. I wanted to say, well, I'll be praying for your pastor because I'm sure you make him miserable. <laughs> I, had all, I had all these good re replies. I was going to ask her, <laughs> I'd already worked this thing out. I mean, instantly in my mind, it won't come out. You talk to your husband that way? She was going to say in my mind, I don't have a husband. I wonder why. <laughs> I had all this stuff, but the Lord had mercy on me. This is just two weeks ago. It's not like it's five years ago. <laughs> Every fool will be meddling or quick to quarrel. Let's not be a fool. 
Proverbs 28, 25, he that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. There again, pride, stirring up strife. Pride, stirring up strife. Pride gets offended, pride stirs up strife. Pride gets offended, pride stirs up strife. So the problem's pride. He that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. That, that doesn't mean obese, that means prosperous. And say, I don't want to put my trust in the Lord, I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> you put your trust in the pound cake, that's what made you heavy in that regard. This word fat just means to prosper. So you can either put your trust in the Lord or put your trust in strife. You can defend yourself or let the Lord defend you. You can let them mock you and you mock back, or you can let them mock you and trust in the Lord and prosper for it. Sometimes keeping your mouth shut's the best way to prosper. Sometimes opening your mouth snares your soul and sinks your ship. And so sometimes we just need to say, Lord, let me be like the Lord Jesus and just keep my mouth shut. Let me just be like a lamb to the slaughter. Because right now, you've got to bite your tongue, bite your cheek, bite your teeth. Just put your belt, take your belt off, put it in your mouth, bite that. Or just say, Lord, strike me dumb like a, a mule for the time being because I really want to spout off. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two: An angry man stirs up strife. And a furious, hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. And look at all these terms that cause people who, who produce strife. A mocker, a pervert, hot-tempered, angry, an idiot, a fool. These are not terms we want to be classified as in the eyes of the Bible. But we've all been guilty of it, so we've all acted the fool. We've all acted hot-tempered. We've all acted the mocker. We've all acted in the ways that we should. Thank God we can repent and the Lord will forgive us and restore us. But we want to improve our performance and get better. If we're still as hot-tempered and emotional today as we were five years ago, we've not really grown in Christ, have we, in that area? So we know what to work on. And if in the local church, let me bring it back now to the Ministry of Helps, if we're still bickering with our department workers or we're still bickering and quarreling with department leaders, we've not grown. So we've got to make the adjustment ourselves. Uh, the selfish person wants everybody else to change but them. And I have also learned the miserable person is unhappy with everybody in their life because they're unhappy with themselves. I'm a pastor. That makes me a people expert. You get around folks, folks that are unhappy with everybody in their life. The only common denominator with all those people is them. Then at the same time, you find somebody that's just, they just love God and they're just merciful and they're thankful to be saved. They love everybody. They can get around anybody and just say, well, find something positive to talk about them. Well, they were rude to you. But yeah, but did you see their hair? They had gorgeous hair. <laughs> they were such a jerk to you. Did you see that belt buckle? That was a good looking belt buckle. They find something positive. They had the prettiest eyes in between the flares of fire. But, you know, somebody who's miserable in their own soul, you can be the best friend ever. It will never be good enough. They call that looking a gift horse in the mouth. That's how you tell a horse's age is by its teeth. Just be thankful you were given a friend. Amen. I'm, um, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm pretty sure after we finish this Sunday morning series we're working on, I'm going to start teaching maybe a month or two in Sunday mornings on how to have proper relationships. Because I'm really observing, especially in America, maybe it's just the Upper Cumberland, maybe it's the social media age. Most folks don't know how to, how to have a biblical relationship with their parents, a biblical relationship with their kids, a biblical relationship with their friends. They don't know how to have a biblical relationship with strangers. And the Bible's just full of how to relate to people. And we're letting social media and the world and our emotions tell us how we ought to behave 
and it's causing society to degrade. So may, maybe, uh, maybe we'll teach on that next and help us be better human beings, much less Christians. All right, let's keep going. No one is right. No one's 100% right. Brother Hagin was fond of saying, that was a great man of God that preached the word for about 70 years. He was, he was fond of saying there are always three sides to every story. And if the story involves you, you're not the right side. <laughs> now, he'd always say there's three sides to every story. There's person A side, there's person B side, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth. And even if you're 99% right, there's still 1% where you were wrong. We must be mindful that our side of the conflict to argument is only that, our side. Now, where I have missed it, my biggest area of weakness as a pastor is in playing mediator. And I have been played so many times. It's the proverb that always eats my lunch is, he that answers a matter before he hears it is a fool. And so I try to do conflict resolution or kind of pacify people or fix a marriage or, or whatever, judge like Moses did in the book of Exodus and Numbers. And I always end up siding with the person who comes to me first. And that has bit me in the rear end so many times. I have now finally learned to just hold them at arm's distance, take them with a grain of salt till I hear the other side. And then I've, I, every time I've proven this right, both people are right, both people are wrong, and their perspective is always biased in favor of them. Even when both of them are great, wonderful sheep that I love and would lay my life down for, they're both right and they're both wrong. And I was a fool for siding with the first person who spoke. That's why you've got to be careful you're not the first person to speak because you may end up manipulating or controlling or perverting someone's judgment just by being quick to defend yourself. That's hard because flesh likes to defend itself. Proverbs 18, 17 in the NIV. We're going to look at this verse in a couple of different versions. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. <laughs> that verse there has sucker punched me so many times in being a pastor and just fixing situations. Yep, I didn't cross-examine, did I, Lord? Forgive me, I'll do better. New Living Translation says, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. <laughs> yeah. Trust no one, love everyone, but trust no one until you hear the fullness of the story. New King James says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Guile, and we've taught this many times over the years, guile is you telling the parts of the story that make you look good. So by technicality, you've told the truth. But you just haven't told the whole truth. You told the highlights that favored your side. That's why you have to be cross-examined to pull the rest of the truth out of you. That's also why in the court of law, they make you put your hand, say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. I do so solemnly swear. Yeah. Often whoever can spread their propaganda first can win the hearts and opinions of anyone who listens. <laughs> Keep your conflict between you, the judge, that's God or whoever's in leadership, and the defendant. We, in this generation, we love to spread our propaganda to defend ourselves. Proverbs 25, 9 and 10, New King James says, Debate your case with your neighbor. Do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. Debate your case between you and who you have something against. If me and Miss Eva are working in a department and we have a problem, I am not to go spread it everywhere. Biblically, I'm to go to her 
first and foremost. And if that won't work, go to the department head. Coworkers, don't start running your coworker down. Take it to them. That's the biblically mature thing to do. That's what Matthew 18 says. If you have something against someone, go to them first. And if they won't hear you, then go to the person above them. It does not give you permission to slander on the Facebook or to run them down to your spouse. If you're a spouse and your spouse comes to you, you say, you should pray and repent for slandering them to me and you should go submit to whoever's over you in this matter. That's how we put strife out. But when somebody starts to produce self-propaganda, it shows you they're not interested in the move of God or the will of God, they're interested in being right. I don't want to be right. I just want to do what's right. And what is right is to serve God. We're not going to be right every day, every moment of every day. There's always something we've failed, lost. There's always something we could have done better. And a mature, humble Christian will self-examine themselves to figure out where that is. And they'll be quick to carry the other person's burden. Say, they blew up. They yelled and cussed at me. Yes, sir, Mr. Boss, ma'am. But I probably didn't handle it best. So please, have mercy on them, but put the blame on me. Well, I don't want to blame you. Well, you need to because I wasn't 100% innocent here. That's going to go a long way towards extinguishing this fire rather than getting people fired and stirring up strife, which the devil loves. He thrives in conflict. He thrives in strife. He thrives in emotional offense. He thrives there. And we shouldn't give him a nest to bed down in. Amen. This verse teaches us to never spread conflict, but rather to resolve it privately or with the help of an intermediary at most. So stop the self-propaganda. Yeah. Self-propaganda is dangerous because it is never accurate. No propaganda is ever accurate. No commercial is ever accurate. No, 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 nothing on the internet is accurate. Nothing in a textbook is accurate. It's all biased and propagandized. Amen. Amen. Because it's self. Our own estimation of ourselves is usually very one-sided and emotional. Now, it could be your self-propaganda is too negative. I'll never go anywhere. I'll never amount to anything. Nobody, like, stop. That's not accurate. But the other end of the spectrum is, I am awesome, just so awesome. If you'll ask me, I'll tell you I'm awesome. Yeah, that's not accurate either. (laughs) Yeah, Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I've made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Nobody can say that. Only with the blood of Jesus can we say, the Lord has cleansed me. But my heart's still desperately wicked and incurably sick. A couple more, a lot more verses. We got six minutes, so let's run through this quickly. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Anytime you start resting in what seems right to you, this verse should be a break for you. Put on the brakes. This seems right. Wait a minute. There's two Proverbs that say the exact same thing. This may be death. I should probably go get some input here. Stop propagandizing. Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. That seems right to me. Well, what does the Lord see? It should make you nervous when you think you got it all together because you haven't factored in the Lord. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the attitude or the spirits, the mental disposition. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. Notice all this is, seems right to you, seems right to you, seems right to me, seems right to me. But it could be death. We haven't asked the Lord for his input, and the Lord hasn't weighed our attitude yet. Maybe right, but our attitude could be wrong. This is why we don't propagandize ourselves. 
The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The way of a fool seems right in his own eyes. You should get counsel. All of these verses, all in a row, they basically say, don't isolate yourself and think you're right. Be willing to look beyond yourself for help, for the Lord's wisdom and input, and for somebody else's counsel. If you can't do that, you're already wrong. Other verses, devise not evil against your neighbor, seeing he dwells securely by thee. Often our neighbor has no idea we have bitterness and offense in our heart toward them, so don't let them down. Anybody ever had bitterness in your heart toward your neighbor and you never let on? And they thought we were just the best of friends. And inwardly we're like, why do they sit by me? Don't they know I hate them? Hey, good to see you. Sit right here by me. Why are they sitting right here? Because you invited them. You're just living a deceptive lie. They, they dwell securely by you. They trust you. They go to church with you. They, they want to sit by you. They love you. It's like a dog. They have no idea you don't like them. <laughs> They're just happy to see you. <laughs> yeah. Proverbs eleven nine. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Another verse that indicates the mouth is a source of destruction. Don't vent on each other. Vent to God in prayer. Lord, that Eva Dingwall makes me so mad. She just, she's just so happy. Go happy all the time. Why does she got to be so happy? Why is, she ha- why is she so full of the joy of the Lord? Why does she got to smile so much? Why can't she be more miserable like me and so have a dumb, dumb face like me and look like an Easter Island rock head like me? Why does she have to actually personify the joy of the Lord and God's happiness? At least you're talking to God. And he won't answer because he doesn't have conversations with stupidity. (laughs) But at least you're not venting and slandering to somebody who can't do anything about it. Amen. Almost done here. Verse, uh, verse Proverbs 14, 21. He that despises his neighbor sins. Spite is all of the heart. Uh, But he that has mercy on the poor, happy, happy is he. You know, having mercy put a smile on your face. Have mercy on yourself. You shouldn't go through life looking like you're not going to heaven. Your face is a wonderful advertisement for heaven and God. So you should smile more. I don't trust Christians that don't smile much because I really wonder, are they Christians? Because if you get a hold of God, you can't help but smile. The joy of the Lord is your strength, not your intellect, not your frown. And joy in every language looks like a smile. I mean, it looks like a, a, a facial change. Joy is a good facelift procedure. It doesn't cost you any money, just pride. <laughs> Amen. Sin, excuse me, spite is a sin of the heart. So don't despise your neighbor. That's a matter of the heart. So easy to disguise that through a fake smile. But you can still despise your neighbor in your heart for whatever reason. We can't allow hurt feelings to fester in despite. I think for the most part, most people don't mean to hurt our feelings in the kingdom. But we do get our feelings hurt. We ought to be bigger than that. My little girls don't mean to hurt my feelings, so I don't hold it against them when they do. I got to realize they're just little girls. They don't know anything. That's That's why they're in my household, so I can train them. We don't talk to adults this way. We don't treat people this way. They're still my responsibility. So I don't get my feelings hurt to hold it against them. I just say, well, that kind of hurt. Well, they're just four and 20 months. 
Not 20 years old. If it's 20 years old, boy, I need a spanking. I have failed my God if my 20-year-old is still despising me. We, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt and cut them some slack and realize just like you have bad days, they might be having a bad day. And even if they're having a bad year, well, you should be bigger than that and pray for them and pray them back into the joy of the Lord and into the fellowship of the saints and the fellowship of the light. Don't allow hurt feelings to fester in despite. The Bible says he that despises or he that has spite against his neighbor sins. Some reality, final section here. If we can adjust our hearts, conflict can easily be resolved and even avoided. There's no reason to always have to pick a fight. There's no, some people are aggressive, they'll pick a fight. That's how they get offended. Other folks, they just walk away with their hurt feeling and they go sob and take all their toys and go home and I'm never coming back here again because my feelings got hurt, says the five-year-old or the 45-year-old. Taking all my G.I. Joes and we're going home. And mommy says, is it okay? Billy hurt my feelings. You want me to make you a grilled cheese? If you would, mama, that would be nice. And maybe some ice cream. Except you, mama's really your wife. Billy's really your co-deacon. How does the Lord get anything done with the body of Christ? It's really like the church is a kindergarten, I think, sometimes. And the Lord's saying, we got to run a special ops mission against ISIS. And all I got is a kindergarten. Lord, help the body of Christ. A friend loves at all times. I really need to teach a, a, a lessons on how to be a friend. Because I'm realizing we don't, not maybe not some of us, but the body of Christ needs to hear teaching on how to be a friend. A friend loves at all times, not sometimes. If you're truly a friend, you love at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs also says, I probably should have written it down. I didn't get it. That the wounds of a friend are faithful. Even Eddie and I, if we're friends, and even if it hurts my feelings, that's a faithful wound. Because he's my friend. He's just being an idiot today. And I've known Eddie a long time. He has the occasional idiot breakout. That's all right. He'll come back around. But it goes on to say in Proverbs, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We'd rather be flattered by a pagan who's really going to stab us in the back than actually take a little bit of an insult from a friend who was just having a bad day. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for the day of adversity. You'll really know who your friends are when you go through hell together. Amen. And Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. Don't complain about not having friends if you're not outgoing. Hard to be friends with a recluse. And it's hard for a recluse to go make friends. Amen. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We know that's a reference to the Lord God. And if you had a relationship with the Holy Spirit as you could, he would encourage you to be more friendly and, and have friends. But life is so much better when you make friends. Life is so much better when you, when you step beyond your comfort zone. I'm five minutes over. Let me give you this little tidbit. It's hard to have friends when all you do is talk about you. Nobody wants to be friends with somebody that always brings it back to them. If you want to have friends, one of the best ways is to take interest in somebody and say, tell me about you. Where are you from? What was that, what was that like? Is that close to here? What did you do growing up? That makes people feel important. They'll start to like you because you're not about you. 
But if you don't have friends, you probably aren't showing yourself friendly and you probably make it all about you and then you're frustrated that nobody wants to be friends with you because it's all about you and they're not all about you. They have a life too. Friendship's a two-way road. It's not a one-way street. Amen. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Christians are not speed bumps. Did you know that? Therefore, don't run them over to make yourself look good and nor throw them under the bus to escape fault. This is how we, we, we extinguish fault or excuse me, strife and conflict. An effective Christian must lay down their life and ego. So I don't know if we've helped you this morning. I think we've covered about 15 different areas in all of this. Uh, but may we, may we lay down our life. May we let the 1 Corinthians 13 love of God abound in our heart and be love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, arrogant. It's not uh, e- e- egotistical or inflated with pride. It takes no account of a suffered wrong. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless. It endures under every situation. It never fails. Uh, uh, well, some, some Christians, it never fails for them to get offended. <laughs> so we got to get the 1 Corinthians 13 love working in our life. Lord, help us with this lesson. We thank you for these teachings on the ministry of helps and everything you've covered and helped us through the scriptures. May every one of us have a soft heart but thick skin. May every one of us be willing to give uh, the benefit of a doubt and be willing to forgive. Help us to get the victory over offense. Help us to all be outgoing and friendly that our lives might be richer with more true friends. May we serve you, Lord, and may we be an extinguisher of strife and conflict, and may we be pursuers of peace and unity. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the move of the Holy Spirit in our life, in our family, on our job, and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.